of Faith with Nael Pondwana, 7 to 8 p.m. Let's try that again. Okay. Good evening. Welcome. Thank you very much for tuning in. You're listening to Facts of Faith with me, Naya Lupondo. It's five after seven. We're together until eight o'clock and then we'll hand over to the news team once again. And that'll be the end of the program for today. But for today, we have something rather interesting for us to discuss. Something that is both, uh, well, important for our economy. And our faith, our question is, what impact does religiosity have in the economic development of society? What impact does religiosity have in the economic development of society? Bearing in mind that the very same people who are religious are very same people who are supposed to be economically active and progressive. These are the same people who are supposed to be contributing to the economic stability of the Republic of South Africa and, well, of the region, the SADC region. Remember, the region is an economic cluster, SADC. Not as much of a political cluster, but an economic cluster. So we are talking about this in that from that perspective, that we're talking about a community of believers who are supposed to be economically relevant. But there seems to be other things that are affecting our economic relevance as religious people. And one of those things that we're trying to investigate for tonight is our religiosity. To what extent does our faith affect our economic contributions, participations, and relevance? Is it possible that perhaps that we are people of faith it has no impact whatsoever or that with people of faith it impacts us in a very desperate way i'll give you an example of both sides there are people who don't really believe in paying their taxes purely because they believe i'm already paying tithes i don't know how relevant that is that argument seems flat but you hear those arguments nonetheless and anyone who does not pay their taxes, they're hitting our GDP. They're hitting our, uh, our, our national purse. And then the other side, those people who feel that they ought to be in control of the economy because they are the ones who have been given the responsibility to rule and reign. All of those sides really are really fluffy on the face of it. Again, that's just prima facie. Fluffy arguments, but you never know. If they believe in it, we respect it, but we may have the right to respectfully disagree. Regardless, our question again, what impact does religiosity have in the economic development of society? Is it possible that we are failing society as religious people? We're not helping to build the economy. Is it possible that we're hurting, that what faith people has not helped but hurt the economy of the Republic? And society is not benefiting from us being faithful. Well, that's our question for tonight. 
What impact does religiosity have in the economic development of society? I'm Nayaro Pondwana. You're listening to Facts of Faith here on SFM. Let's begin. The views and ideas expressed in this program are views expressly of the people sharing them and not of the anchor or that of this broadcaster. All persons, juristic or natural, are to be held responsible for their own representations offered on this program by their agents and not this corporation. Any and all consumption of our conversational substance is entirely at your own discretion. Please be advised that this program airs subject matter that has the potential to destabilize and challenge your intellectual equilibrium. If you are excitable, profound caution when consuming our subject matter is advised. Participation in this program is a voluntary enterprise and as such is expected to be considered and deliberated on. Kindly note that, just as the anchor is, all participants, guests and callers are encouraged to engage in this our freedom of expression and any of our civil liberties responsibly. Vaccine boosters are now here to give your immune system extra power against COVID-19. You can get a booster if you got your Johnson & Johnson jab more than two months ago or your second Pfizer jab six months ago. Hurry, the sooner you vaccinate, the more you're protected. Got questions? Call 0800-029-999. Hashtag SAFM Facts of Faith. All right, let me introduce you to our guests in no particular order. Um... We do have, in no particular order, Bishop Joshua Maponga, who is a fighter of spiritual colonialism and cultural activist. Bishop, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening and thank you for inviting me and good evening to your listeners around thank South you very Africa much. and the world. Thank you very much. And also we do have Roger Beattie, a member of the Baha'i Faith and CEO of the Pan-African Investments and Research Services. Good evening to you, Roger. Thank you very much for being to talk to us. Good evening and greetings to our panelists and the listeners. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. Yeah. Sheikh Abdul Katir Mandlangosi, leader from the Gauteng Muslim Shura Council. He is an Islamic scholar and is joining us. Good evening to you, Sheikh, and thank you very much for going to talk to us. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Thanks, and thanks for having me. All right, thank you very much. I'm sure any and everyone who reads the funny papers and all the papers in the Republic knows that when I say Joshua Alponga, you raise your eyes. So we're going to get the elephant, the blue elephant, out of the way. Josh, I heard you were deported. <laughs> were you deported? And are you back? I saw you yesterday. Did you smuggle yourself back into the Republic? <laughs> what happened? Uh, Fly, flies, dogs, and pigs—they they live on uh, on dirt. Yes, it is it is part of their nature. Okay. There's nothing you can do about it. They feast on uh, on rubbish. They yeah. feast on, on 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 rot, and it's a shame that yeah. we have people who have reduced themselves to the quality of that uh, animalistic behavior of gorging themselves with rotten meat. With lies. And there's nothing I can do. It is in their nature. They yeah. Past two more important issues. Those who have ears can hear. Indeed, indeed. And just putting it out there that I, we were together yesterday uh, here in South Africa and there were no police, no home affairs, nothing. So I'm just putting it out there that we are not <laughs> on you're that not level. You're not talking to deportees. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we don't encourage that kind of thing here and we we support all of our contributors and even if even if you were a deportee we would have given you the opportunity to uh, clarify what had happened in this case that's not the case so let's not even but have that a conversation a, that, is a, that is a difference between a reputable journalist 
and the Facebook journalists yeah. who are just, uh, you know, wafflers and uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. Of, 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 of rubble, yeah. All right. That said, we get back to the conversation for tonight. We've gotten that. I'm not expecting any text messages or any WhatsApp voice notes or any phone calls on that subject. I read deliberately put that out of the way right up front so we can get to the issue of the day. We're asking the question, what impact does religiosity have in the economic development of society? And that's the question we want to get answered. We're going to begin with Sheikh Ngozi. Sheikh, uh, is there any impact whatsoever that our faith has on the economic status of our society? Well, it's supposed to. There's supposed to be a great impact <laughs> that religiosity has on the society, because uh, we have to. Uh, we we don't worship uh, God with an empty stomach, and that 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 should that should apply to any congregant and the society at large. So, uh, I mean, with with Islam, which is something that I will uh, expand on yeah. even further as we discuss, that there are systems in place to ensure that. Uh, you know, people don't don't uh, just go hungry. I mean, just I'll uh, just to start off. I'll be I'll give you an example of a man who was sitting in a mosque or a church, synagogue, whatever it is, and he was busy praying all day. And the and the greatest authority of the time, being Omar bin Al Khattab, so like a president of the time, he found him there and he said, "Good, you know, what are you doing for a living?" He said, "No, what I do is just worship God." And he started whipping him. <laughs> he said, no, that's not how life is supposed to be. You need to go out and, uh, you know, uh, uh, get employment or whatever. Do get into some business of some sort, then come back and worship God. So we, we do not we do not advocate the, you know, if anyone wants to be uh, an ascetic, that, that should be by choice. But reality is we have families to feed, we have societies, we have... You know, uh, we are living, we are living, and, and, and our life, we're not just only focused on the next life, so we need to uh, make the best of this life, so we prepare ourselves also for the next life, and that is by, uh, you know, whether you are in business, whether you are, but there needs to be some activities, and also from a religious perspective, the brotherhood, the congregants that you are with, uh, I mean, what is the point of you coming uh, Sunday, or whenever, Friday in our case, and meeting the brothers who are hungry the whole week, and you only meet them at that time, and you just so Islam is also has systems in place where we have to uh, uh, make sure that people are, are again making a living of some sort uh, while they are busy worshiping uh, God. That sounds more like social welfare, and at best we could call it microeconomics, but I'm looking for macroeconomics. We're talking about society here, not individuals of society, not people as individuals, but people as a collective. Is it possible that perhaps whatever uh, group of congregants are congregating, they could be congregating in, in Hillbrow, and in Hillbrow there is utter and gutter economic disparities there is it possible that you could be there on a friday afternoon after worship and then you can't come out and you still live in the very same hill brown that is not well taken care of economically both in terms of the community you live in and the greater johannesburg area not not really because i mean we have we have a system which is we have two systems one is zakat which is it's a money. It's money that is uh, a percentage of some sort that anyone that's making a living needs to contribute towards addressing exactly what you are saying. 
you know, the society that you are in. So that money, that 2.5 percent of your of, of of your wealth, does not belong to you religiously, according to Islam. It actually belongs to the poor. So that means that money needs to be used to, you know, sort out the infrastructure, the areas in which we are, uh, uh, you know, the, the help poor. me understand, Sheikh. Isn't that what you call um, alms giving alms? It is, but it can be used. It can be used on a micro level, on on a micro, and of course, on also on a, on, a, on a universal level. But what you notice so, with many Muslims and and the ones that have observed who own businesses and have interviewed them on this matter, th- right. they don't give that two percent of their income. Quite frankly, it's hardly a percentage. It's a point zero zero something. They give coins to those people, and when you ask them. What are you doing? They tell you this is a car. And, 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 and you wonder, is this what was meant those, those, with the five those, pillars of Islam? Are, That's not what was meant, giving coins. I, I hear you, but these are two different. You're talking about, so we have one element, which is just charity, which is what you see every Friday, people just giving out. That's one thing. But then annually, a, there is a 2.5% of a person's worth that is collected. and Collected by whom to a, whom? Come again? Who who collects it and who who is the recipient of this collection? The money belongs to the poor. It's, it's, Who's the it's, poor? It's, I need you to give me an, an identity of the poor. Is there an organization? Is there a, a department? Is there someone who you will say is the poor? Because that sounds very abstract. Okay, okay. So, so, so in South Africa, being, you know, not a Muslim uh, uh, country per se, so we have certain organizations you know, which collect, okay. and I mean, Muslims know who they are. And but I mean, you okay. can do it yourself. Okay. You don't have to. You you don't have to be bound to the organization. So I can take two point five percent of my money yeah. and say I want to upgrade. Uh, you know, uh, life in my neighborhood. Okay. You know, so it doesn't have. Is that to, compulsory though? Is that compulsory? Shit? Yes, this is compulsory. If you are a Muslim and you're not doing that, you are being sinful. Ah, okay, got it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Roger Bedian. From the Baha'i perspective, is there anything that your religiosity as the Baha'i affects societal economics? Absolutely, and uh, uh, and and I like to break it at. To, to three segments. One, which, as you mentioned, at a macro level, the, the Baha'i faith has a great um, deal of um, text, uh, holy text, on, the, on actually the definition of development, definition of progress. And that's so important for uh, any member of the Baha'i faith to fully uh, digest and internalize that. And the very key point uh, flowing from that is that religion and, and uh, and development are in a way integrally related, um, meaning that we cannot talk about being a religious person or a religious organization without caring for the development of the society. Importantly, in the Baha'i faith, the emphasis is not just only on the members of the faith, so yeah. to speak, the community. It has an international concept, meaning at a local, national, and international level, we need to deal with these issues of disparity. And the high faith offers a system. Uh, it's not an uh, economic system. It's a, it's a spiritual, religious system. In order to deal with these issues systemically, as opposed to individually and on ad hoc basis. And what system is that? It's a system that uh, requires over and above 
Okay, it's a system that is predicated upon reciprocity of human beings within the community at the local, international, and, 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 and national level. Based on that, then there is a system of taxation over and above each country's taxation system, which obliges the Baha'i members of the Baha'i community to uh, provide both voluntary and involuntary, meaning based on the religious law, obedience, as Sheikh also mentioned, and in all religions that in fact exist. But in the Baha'i faith, it's a very specific ratio, which is about 19%, 1-9% of every person's additional wealth over and above their basic needs. What, what does that need, mean? What does it mean, additional wealth? Because, uh, see, every year, uh, individual wealth moves. So let's just myself, for example, if I compare my wealth from 2021 to 22, I then say, well, has my wealth exceeded by how much? And I need to keep a track of that so that I've paid my taxes, I've, I've paid my obligations of, of, of whatever liabilities I've had. And net of that, whenever my wealth increases on annual basis, I need to then um, contribute 19% of it to an international fund, which is specifically and very importantly, specifically for the alleviation of disparities of income and wealth, which means that fund goes for alleviation of the, uh, the, the plight of the poor across the globe. So that has been in operation now for over 100 years. Do tell me, has any of your members declared an additional wealth? Let alone declare <laughs> how, much, how much it is so that you can be able to take that 19%. Have right. you, in the past two years, for example, nobody has ever said, actually, we've been having a good year. COVID has been good to us. We've, <laughs> we've added to yeah. our wealth. Has you, no, have you yeah. had anyone? No, that's a very good point you ask. Uh, it, yes, the answer is yes, and the, the the indicator of that is the level of that that fund that is administered by, administered by a special group under the international governing body of the Baha'i Faith, which is Universal House of Justice. The fact, and, and I'm confident because the numbers over the years go up, but the point that you're raising, does anybody do it? Does anybody... Uh, watch them, control them, audit them. The answer is like all other religious laws and, and, uh, and obligations. It is between you and your belief system, your faith, your creator. So there is no external audit. But the fact that the funds have been going up uh, consistently, it means that increasingly, as members of the Baha'i faith comply with their religious obligations, the funds rise and the interventions or, or alleviation of, of, of these funds globally increases as well. All right, got it. All right, let's, let's, let's hope by faith that these 10 gentlemen in the Universal House of Justice actually do give out this 19%. I'd love to do some auditing on them. Let's go yeah. to uh, Bishop Maponga. We're, we're, we're talking about a situation that is supposed to be an, an obvious, that is supposed to be relevant. We find a, a, a large group of people who are people of faith uh, so heavenly, of heavenly good and earthly no good. But perhaps you might find that in your group of people who are believers uh, there, Bishop, uh, it's different. Do you find that they are relevant economically? Firstly, we need to debunk this thing of uh, interpretation of the Bible. Okay. 
And, and I think many, particularly I will, today, I will be as biblical and as scriptural as possible, so that at least I can also redeem myself from from being uh, given, uh, given names. Okay. People have a, a text in their hands, which they don't use correctly. But as quickly as the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 1, verses 26, 27, 28, at the bottom there, you will find the Bible being very clear that uh, six days shall thou labor, and do all thy work, and then rest on the seventh day. That's according to the Bible. It is the Bible that all Christians hold in their hands. Yeah. Whether they want to agree the Sabbath to be Sunday, to be Friday, to be Wednesday, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. But in your six days, you should have labored. So this is for the first time you find the Bible actually giving Christians uh, a recipe for wealth creation and economic development. Yeah. Mm. You, you, it's illegal to rest on the seventh day or on the Sunday, if you have not labored for six days. Okay. Let's start from there. That is actually a criminal offense to rest on the day of rest when you have not labored. In other words, you can only rest after you have labored. Well, that, that, say, that, that, that idea is it's, 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 it's slightly, slightly worrisome for me because the very inception of that Sabbath day, there was no labor whatsoever. I'm fully aware that you know for a fact that when God said six days thou shalt labor, but on the seventh yeah. days your Sabbath, no one was working. No one was created there. And then can, when, when, when can, they rested, there was no one who yeah, was working we, we, for those six days. We, we can unpack it from the concept, if you want to do a theological symposium. That you start off with rest. That's right. You start off. You start off with rest. Yeah. Rather, you your mind must be in a peaceful space before you can start to labor. That's where planning happens. That's yeah. Genesis one verse zero. Yeah. That in your rest is not rest of nothingness. Okay. It is rest of planning. It it is rest of thinking. It is rest of interacting with the Creator who then gives you creative tools so that you begin your creation. But in those six days there, Bishop, there was no one thinking. There was no human being whatsoever. Human beings had not been created in those six days. We are looking, we are now, we're now looking at uh, the divine example okay. in the first okay. chapter. Okay. Okay. And when, when the divine example is done, then we start off our Sunday where God is, where God has stopped, so, okay. so to speak. So we, we have an example of a man or a God who labors in chapter one, yeah. you know, separating waters, putting clouds in the sky. He shows you that from nothing. Okay. You, by the end of the week, you can have something. Okay. So okay. by the time Adam and Eve come into the space, they are not coming into a space of nothingness. There is a space of example where he has done. And on the basis that he has done, you can emulate also and say, how do you separate your waters? Yeah. How do you plant your trees? How do you, you know, populate your animals? And etc. And how do you reproduce on a Friday after you've been given a wife? So in fact, even, I must even say it loudly that to sleep with a woman without labor is a crime also. <laughs> because you should have an Adam and then you have an Eden, then you have an Eve. Okay. So without those two prerequisites, which is... Uh, Men at work and the place of work, which is land issues, reproduction becomes illegal. But okay. first, let's agree that therefore, using the divine example, let's put God in one section. Let's okay. talk about us from Sunday going forward. Okay. Sit down first with God, understand what He is all about. Yeah. Then begin your labor. And He says, Your work, finish thy work. Yeah, my, work. then my, my question God. to you, Bishop, is does the Christian community, the Bible believing community, do they do that? 
Do they, the Bible believes in what? Do they do that? Do they do what you're suggesting is supposed to be done? That ends my first comment of saying interpretation is critical. Because then ministers would rather... Because the, 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 your topic says religiosity. Correct. Religiosity has issues of fanaticism. Mm-hmm. Where people end up in church on a Sunday for the whole day. On a Monday, it's Women's Day. On a Tuesday, it's Youth Day. On a Wednesday, on a Friday. And you wonder, when do they cook for their husbands? Okay. When do they work for their wives? And if church becomes an occupation, which choose more than 10 to 12 hours. Some certain churches, it even choose... 80% of the time, because as my brother was saying earlier on, that if people make religion an occupation, yeah. then poverty becomes a middle name. Yeah. So do your work, and while you're doing your work, remember, be fruitful, you know, yeah. multiply, and have dominion. So we're actually looking at economic power. Yeah. And if you're asking if religiosity creates economy, then go back on the seven M's of business. Find out if the church is teaching manpower. Does the church develop manpower? Does the church accumulate materials? Does the church have accumulate money? Does the church have machinery? Does, so that you look at the seven M's which create a society that is economically viable. And find if the programs of the church are in any way you know, speaking to machinery, to Manpower, and I'm not talking about money and etc. for for welfare. I'm not interested in welfare today. I want us to talk at strategic business ownership, so that if our offering was being converted into a bank, we could say yes. Now we have access to money which we can invest on. So don't tell me about money in the in in, in envelopes because that then goes for cleaning up carpets and for painting the walls. I'm talking about church owning estates of not only education, agriculture. You know, we, uh, some of our churches believe members must not dress up short dresses. Where is the company that is producing the long dresses? You must not listen to secular music. Yeah. Do we have production companies that produce that music? So whatever doctrine that we have, the question is, do we actively get involved in creating the businesses that actually can make a societal impact? I'll give you the Brazil example, where they have a publishing house in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And they converted their publishing house not only for church use, but they're now printing all government educational books. And the Brazil Union has become one of the richest conferences in the Adventist Church because they've been able to convert this publishing concept into actually a national asset, which is now producing books for the rest of the country, and that creates money, and that creates business, that creates employment. Got it. Hold hold that thought. I want to open the lines for anybody who would like to join the conversation. This is what we're talking about tonight. What impact does your religiosity have in the economic development of society? 011-714-2006. Call in. 011-714-2006. Or perhaps you could send us a WhatsApp text or a WhatsApp WhatsApp voice note. The number there is 614-104-107. We're also available on Twitter and on Facebook at SFM Radio. And the hashtag on Twitter is hashtag SFM facts of faith. Now let's get to the nub of the issue, gentlemen. We're talking about a situation, particularly in the Republic of South Africa. When you're talking about economic development, you'll hear government and many people who are supporters of the government agenda talking about job creation. Now, personally, I'm not an economist, but I don't like the idea of job creation. But we'll talk about that because that's a buzzword in economic development circles in government society and the world over in terms of South Africa. 
So I'm going to ask you, does the church, does the mosque, does, does any, any organization, a group of believers have a responsibility to create employment? Roger Bajian, do, do you yeah. have a responsibility to create employment? Um, no, um, not as a religious organization. As you know, the Baha'i faith doesn't have priests or uh, religious leaders as, as such. Everybody is a priest and everybody is, is, is a member. Uh, in that context, what the faith suggests is that individual members of the Baha'i faith are obliged to um, equip themselves with art, sciences, and the skills that enables them to, um, to be a productive member of the society. In so doing, and towards their education and the skill acquisition, augmentation, training, and so on, then the Baha'i faith, in terms of its administration, locally and nationally and internationally, then supports such, a, uh, such activities. For example, there are bursaries for, for students, there are training programs, etc., etc., but that is supporting the individuals in a drive based on the premise and very important reality that each individual is endowed with capacities, unique capacities, be it in the area of art, science, uh, whatever it is. We are all capable. And then the Baha'i administration's purpose and objective is to help the individual to unlock those God-given But there lies the problem. In South Africa, we have a lot of people who have qualifications, degrees galore, but unemployed and unable to participate in the economy. And Naya, I agree with you that there is a lot of qualification, and in fact, I would say certification, and very little skills. We have people who've got degrees, but very little hands-on knowledge or um, uh, on-the-job training in order to be able to convert that certificate and, and so on to actual qualification and capabilities. What the economy needs everywhere, including South Africa, is not certificates. Okay. In fact, many of the school certificates, university degrees, were designed 20, 40, 30 years ago. The economy has moved, <laughs> and those degrees are no longer... And I'm, I'm, I'm not... Uh, accusing anybody. I was a professor of economics for many years. I can tell me, I can tell you from experience yeah. that the, the rate at which academic institutions align themselves or catch up with the scientific discoveries is just frighteningly wow. slow. Okay. So, that, that's so good. I want to just make sure that back to your key point, the Baha'i community's emphasis locally and internationally is on supporting individual initiatives in order to equip themselves to become independent earners and keepers of their own lives and hopefully help others. Perhaps I could follow up the question with this one. If we're talking about equipping yourself, surely that has to be informed by what the economy needs, what skills the economy needs to develop. You cannot be breeding lawyers in an economy that, that requires artisans. You can't be breeding teachers in an economy that requires scientists. Surely anyone who's going to be equipping anybody needs to know what the economy needs. Does the Baha'i faith know what the South African economy needs? The Baha'i faith doesn't need to know. The members of the Baha'i faith, um, like myself, can say, okay, I've got a matric or I've got a BA or some, I've got something, but... At the moment, the South African economy is short of X, Y, Z, whatever those things are, whether you're on the uh, IT side of it, you need programming and all that stuff, or you're at the other end, the artisans, you need plumbers, electricians, so on and so forth, bookkeepers. 
you come to the uh, to that institution and say, look, I need support to upgrade or to augment my whatever I have already with these type of marketable yeah. opportunities as I see them. I, and therefore, if that's the case, we support them. That's the way to do it. Not okay. for somebody sitting in the dark rooms and say it's good for you to become a plumber yeah. or to be a radio <laughs> programmer. Indeed, indeed. All right. Shaking yeah. goes, we're talking about yeah. a situation where the country has so much. We've seen a lot done by the Muslim community. Quite frankly, it has been done in terms of social services. Is it possible that perhaps you have a bigger responsibility not only to give but also to equip Give a, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. I'm sure you know that, uh, that, yeah. that adage. But teach a man to fish, he'll, he'll eat forever. Are you teaching, are you equipping anybody to participate in the economy? Definitely, and we're taking it directly from Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. A man comes to him and he complains about his uh, you know, financial constraints and his poverty and everything, and he's asking for something for that particular day. Uh, Prophet Muhammad gives him that particular thing that he's asking for, but then he gives him an axe. He says, this is an axe. Go use this axe to cut down wood and start selling it to the neighbor to the to, 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 to the neighborhood. So you, you find that happening in the I mean if you go whether you go into Mayfair downtown, you're going wherever you find Muslims uh, you know, I mean another example that I would like to bring to your attention, Prophet Muhammad moves from Mecca to Medina to persecution and all those things. And the first thing when the believers are saying, Okay, the Prophet has come, where are we going to pray? The, they, they, you know, everyone is concerned about the prayer. You know, the prophet has come. The prophet is concerned about two things. He says we need to be close to the marketplace. So wherever we're going to set up, which is where if you go to Medina at the moment, where the great mosque of the prophet is, it's right next or, I mean, it's surrounded by the marketplace. So because he didn't want people who are, you know, who are, um, you know, just in the mosque and they're hungry, but here's the marketplace here. Try to find something, to get, buy something, sell something, do something. And uh, the point I was trying to get that to here in South Africa, if you go to all the Muslim areas, uh, you will find that we have shops. We have, you know, there's a mosque. Every mosque has a shop of some sort, and that mosque is high, high hires people, and not just Muslims, by the way, not just Muslims. Our 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 uh, responsibility extends to everyone. Muslims, of course, maybe because they will probably be the the majority in the proximity of people who are initiating the project. But it goes beyond. I mean. If if anyone else, Baha'i, Christians, and you know, we we have that element. And the other question, which was a follow-up question that you asked now, about, before, before we go know, to the follow-up question, I'd I'd like to right. challenge that there, Sheikh Gosi. I'm, okay. I'm I'm here in in Auckland Park, and I don't live far from here. And so when I go to Johannesburg, I I pass through Mayfair and Fordsburg, and 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 all I see is directly in contrast to what you're suggesting. I don't see people being employed there who are in any other faith but the Muslim faith. I don't see people, that, most of the people that you find there are usually family members. Hardly ever do I see an employee who is not a family member. I'm not quite sure how that contributes <laughs> to societal economics. I think that's just family economics. No, 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 that's that's not the case. Uh, 
you 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 should take time you should take time and really we can do that to tomorrow people. we can do that tomorrow shaking course we can go there tomorrow do, and you can introduce can, me to all these do. places you're saying <laughs> I, are contributing to society <laughs> definitely i can meet you and, and i can i can even take you to places where um you know there's uh, institutions which they you know they teaching all these trades and all these <laughs> things and all under a particular religious body that seeks to alleviate uh, you know, poverty through, you know, empowering people. Because the, the, the trick is to empower that particular individual. Do you have, so any, he can empower- do you have any records of what you're suggesting, perhaps, the Sheikh? Is there anything in any document that says, this is how many people we've empowered in the year 2021, in the year 2020, this is the amount of people we've empowered? And quite frankly, I'm not really bothered by the fact that they are Muslim, but that they're contributing, yeah. our focus for our conversation is their contribution to the economic society. Um, uh, 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 this economics to society are they contributing to society that's what i'm interested in do you have any documents to that effect i can i have documents that i can share quite there's there's, there's a lot of uh uh, uh you know um pilot Evidence. projects which became a success okay well, you go to soweto you hold, go hold to the thought, hold thought. Go i want to take a break when you come back uh, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to tell us what these projects are you're still listening to facts of faith uh, Naye Lupondwana on SAFM. What impact does your religiosity have in the economic development of society? That's our question for tonight. We're in conversation with Joshua Ponga. Joshua Ponga is a fighter of spiritual colonialism. And we have Raj Abedian. He's a member of the Baha'i Faith and CEO of Pan-African Investments and Research Services. And also Sheikh Abdul Katir. Uh, Kadir Mandlangosi is a leader from the Gauteng Muslim Shura Council and he's also an Islamic scholar. We're talking about just that. These religious people and their contributions to the economy of the societies and communities that live in. Do share with us these examples that you have there, Sheikh. Well, uh, on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a micro level, we, we they, you know, there's been a, a, um, a hardware that was established in Soweto and uh, part, I mean, not part of it, uh, well, part of it, the injection came from the community. And at the moment, it's running smooth, and the brother has employed people in Soweto, and that's it. We move on to the next project. Do you understand? Is that, is, is, are those the kind of examples that you're asking okay. for? Look, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to call you tomorrow, Sheikh. We're going to schedule one of the one of these days. I don't want to box you down to Monday. Any of these yeah. days between Monday and Friday, were you comfortable us, were you taking me around? I can come back and give a report on this because what I've Definitely. seen on the ground is slightly different, but I'm sure I could have been going into the wrong shops and businesses <laughs> no, and I'm, you I'm can educate really. me on that. I'll come back and report on that. Uh, definitely, definitely. All right. Yeah. Now, we, we have a big problem there. Uh, 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 Iraj, we're talking about a situation where we're talking about a, a community of religious people. And my mm. big worry is, when we're talking about a community of religious people, this is not something that needs to be audited. You said something that um, you're not audited, there are no external auditors. Do you have any internal inter- auditing of any ilk to ascertain that all of this economic contribution is actually happening, not just re- relegated to the documents of Baha'i faith? Um, in terms of the Baha'i community, yes, every local spiritual assembly, which is the organizing body of, of the community in Johannesburg, Cape Town, etc., etc., they have to be audited externally, not just by the Baha'i, so to speak, by certified auditors to make sure that there's 
their expenses are in line with the law and their expenditures are in line with the plans and programs of that local special assembly, if it's a local uh, community or national. Therefore, everything is audited. Um, as you know, the Baha'i faith doesn't have a religious leader, so to speak. The institutions govern the community. And very importantly, individual Baha'is take the initiatives to do in their spheres of activity and, and passion and expertise um, contributions to the, to the community. And this is, as I've said before, it is not community. The definition of community is not the Baha'i community. The Baha'i community is very small Indeed. in South Africa, but its activities are all in terms of uh, uh, training of children, emphasis on women empowerment and so on. It's for everybody. And uh, by audited numbers, I can we can demonstrate or, or share with you that the, par- the participants on the, in those programs are by far predominantly not members of the Baha'i community, and it doesn't matter because the definition of community for the Baha'i faith is humanity. Okay, all right. Uh, Bishop, w- we have a problem in South Africa, uh, the, uh, and I call this a problem, and I understand there are people who would disagree with me by calling it a problem, but I'm calling it a problem. Our country has a lot of people, the majority of the people in South Africa, over 80% of the people call themselves Christian one way or the other, and I'm not even going to litigate that. But the issue is, while we have that number, even if it was 50% Christian, we don't see that 50% contributing. You gave an example, which was a powerful example of, in seven days, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall, you shall rest. And the, 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 the Exodus uh, injunction goes as further as to say, you must rest on that day and your children and your visitors and your servants. And we don't find that the, the, the Christians in South Africa have employees, people who are serving them. They seem we appear to be employees ourselves and we don't employ anybody. Is it possible that our faith has not permeated to our real and actual lives? The, the African Christian is brain damaged. And I'm saying this from Muslims to Baha'i to Islam to Christians. Because until our religious teachings, uh, we remove the colonial elements in them, which teach us to be servants, servants obey your masters, which teach us to be slaves, and which teach us to have a parasitic uh, eschatological expectation of the second coming and the coming of the parousia, the coming of Jesus. You postpone life in the present because you are looking forward that you get refunded on the other side of the world. Now, if God wanted us in heaven, why did he put us on earth? And I think critically to this conversation is the practicality of implementing Christian, Muslim, Baha'i principles to actually understand that when we are not masters, we are doing God a disfavor. We are, we are causing God, we are causing you know, Allah to be insulted amongst us. Because it's not only about working for others, it's having ownership of our estate, yeah. so that we leave stuff for our children. And the proverb says, lazy people don't give them food. So people who are not working must not be given, they must starve to death. Because it's only out of the sweat of your hands, the sweat of your brow that you must eat. Therefore, I, I think that Christianity and religious organizations, and I like what my brother said initially, I can't remember his name, when he said the education we are bragging ourselves with. Some of this theology, whether it is the Quran or it is the Bible, you're dealing with stuff that was formulated in the 16th and 15th century. Mm. Archaic 
old stuff that is totally irrelevant to where we are right now, until and unless the modern theologians can come together and say, how do we translate this script to make it relevant and respond to your question intelligently? How do we, as Christian organizations, begin to collect all the monies that are being collected on Sundays and put that money in a local bank? For example, just at the, 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 the Rima Church, Oasis Church, what what ministry ministry this uh, Futsik Fatan Church and all these the uh, Havula churches we all put our money as Christians and as Muslims and buy into one common account and then we can have a banking system which we can access we can begin to talk about money in a practical sense yeah. instead of us doing that ministers are grabbing money and putting it in their back pockets and disappearing with a crime scene. Well, me, the Muslims the, the, the Muslims have already led the pack as far as the banking system is concerned. The country, the Republic of South Africa, has even recognized that they have their own banking system. Does your community have a banking system? We, we, we don't have a banking. Well, we are banking our money in America uh, because we need to collect the money, then we send them somewhere else where other people know how to use them. I mean, I was in Florida the other day. I saw sanitariums there. I saw hospitals. I saw clinics. I saw investments that the church owned, the Seventh Adventist church owned. Here in South Africa, I don't even have an eye clinic, a small little eye clinic, for crying out loud. So I, 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 this is not only Adventist. You can talk about Methodists, you can talk about other churches and Lutherans. This colonial structure in some of the, in some of the Reformed churches, these colonial structures that put headquarters in Switzerland, in Britain, or in America as a way of siphoning money out. We need another conversation, actually, on another day. How Christian churches have been smuggling money out of third world countries to support first world countries. Ooh, that's a big accusation. That's laundering you're <laughs> suggesting there. Yo, 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 yo. Right, I want to read, read some text messages and some WhatsApps from people who have sent some views on what we're talking about. I'm going to begin with Facebook. Um, um, can I get my bed there, Lubigas? Uh, 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 let's go to Ayanda Ndaba on Facebook. Ayanda writes, Now, the only religiosity that can and will empower society economically is the one and only divine institution of family. And religion has done an excellent job of dividing the family. Religiosity has little and almost no impact on economic development towards its people and or society. It is profusely concentrated on, quote-unquote, church attendance and high numbers of congregants, full stop. Whatever economic development that is incurred is saved for the building, the clergy and the promoting of the particular agenda that that religion seeks to promote and push towards its followers and all members. Okay, Ayandandawa, thank you. On Facebook, Alan Plum writes, Nothing! What also called religious groups pay tax, then they will contribute to the economic upliftment of society. Or make all so-called religious groups pay taxes, then they will contribute to the economic upliftment of society. Well, Alan, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that because individuals, people who are members of those uh, religious communities, they pay taxes, whether they are believers or not. All economically viable people in South Africa, whether they're religious or not, you do pay tax. It's the organization that does not pay tax. But the individuals, they do. They do pay their taxes, or at least they're supposed to. 
right and then uh, we go to whatsapp those of you have sent your whatsapp texts one once whatsapp text reads the church is inspired by the bible to take care of the vulnerable and needy in society as james 1 27 okay in the niv religion that god our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world that's social welfare sir not talking about that today i thought i was clear we're talking about economic contributions we're talking about actual contributions to the economy Uh, if you remember in the book of acts they actually brought their money together and the entire community was supposed to have that money brought to Peter. And, well, that's the New Testament. And then the Old Testament, you see a, a communal way of building economics. That's what we're talking about. Not social welfare, okay? Now the text reads, In short, Nai, our religious religions, maybe, can't participate in the economy since they are afraid of paying taxes they claim to be non-profit organizations they only believe in modern slavery which is voluntary so if religious or religions can participate in economy work curse can't get return on energy which is low income i am ras Gaddafi from mukhapeng thank you very much ras please don't forget to edit your text before you send it ras thank you very much i appreciate it Another text text message writer writes, The biggest problem is people waiting for the church and government to save them. Maponga has a point. If you listen to his teachings, yes, there's poor people that need help, but social delights in giving... Social delights in giving fish rather than teaching how to fish? You mean society? Okay, I'm assuming you mean society there. Okay, let's play a voice note and give my guest opportunity to respond and then we conclude our conversation. Play that voice note, someone. Good evening, Naya. Yes, sir. And your guest there. May I follow up with your Muslim leader? He said something quite interesting. Now, in the South African te- uh, context, may I perhaps find out from him if what I find this to be fair for one, uh, them to give, in terms of their zakah, to give uh, uh, coins. For on Fridays as a guest, as a charity gesture, but to put aside 2.5 percent of their wealth strictly for Muslims, because when you ask him a question, then he said, "No, Muslim organizations. If you are a Muslim, you know where to access that money." Now I'm asking this question of whether this is fair or not on the basis that can you can you explain? whether they are consumers is strictly muslims therefore justifying uh, giving coins to the general public and 2.5 to the muslims don't they think that it's only fair that they also accommodate those people who are supporting their businesses thank you okay that's a very direct i think that's abundantly clear there sheikh would you like to respond to that yes yes so uh, I will say it again, and I think I mentioned it earlier. So the, when you were uh, the, 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 the giving coins, and the, that that's for everyone. Everyone can get it. The same thing applies for the zakah that I spoke about. That zakah is for you know they they categories on to who de- who 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 deserves 
uh, portion of the Zaka. And Zaka is, of course, these big projects. So it's the poor, the needy. Uh, the, I mean, the people who are also working and collecting the thing, they have a share in that. And it is also for bringing, uh, you know, for, 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 for what we call ma'alafatul qulub. Ma'alafatul qulub is to uniting hearts. So uniting hearts is not, is not restricted to just the Muslims. It's for everyone. Any, any person in the community has a, put a portion of, uh, a, a share in that portion. So it's not, it's not contrary to what a lot of people think, thinking this is just for Muslims. I think this his question was pointed on the 2.5%. Who is the beneficiary of the 25 That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the 2.5% of the wealth. So it is, so I, it is not exclusively for Muslims. It's not exclusively for Muslims. It is not, I will repeat, it is not exclusively for Muslims. It's for anyone in the society that is deserving. And, you, and how do you determine the deserving part? And of course, I mean, people come through, like we have institutions, they come and, uh, uh, and, and they, 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 they present their cases. And, you know, there's, it's, 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 wow. uh, there's background checks and all those things. I mean, we have bursaries going, going for Muslims and non-Muslims in universities. If we were to find that those, those only go to Muslims, would your argument be it's only because Muslims are, 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 are deserving? If we were to look through your books right now of all yes. the recipients... Would we find that more than just Muslims are receiving are recipients of these? To say more than is a is a big story, but to 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 have uh, uh, non-Muslim people who are not Muslims or Christians or anything uh, on the list, yes, definitely you will find a lot of them. And I said this earlier that. Sometimes, I mean, also with the employment. So if uh, Abdul Qadir, me, Mandlan Kosi, opens up a shop, the first thing I'll do, I'll announce in the, in, the, in the mosque also to say, listen, is there a brother that, that can paint here? Is there a, uh, a okay. sister that can do this? Do this? So I'll, those people will probably be the first in line to receive the employment. That's the but point he was making. And he's suggesting that's not else. fair. That, that's, that's, that's exactly what he was referring to. And that's how he's suggesting that that's not fair. It's supposed to be any and everybody, not just those who are your brothers. But I want to give the rest of my guests opportunity to respond and conclude. I'm going to give each of you 30 seconds, gentlemen. I'm going to begin with Bishop Maponga. Go ahead. Unless and until we understand the verse that says, occupy till I come. He did not say wait until I come. It says occupy. That speaks of employment and churches need to change their models from worship to job creation. Thank you. Lovely. Uh, Raj Abidian, go ahead. 30 seconds. Yeah, I think the, the Baha'i faith uh, encourages all its members individually do their best in order to have maximum impact on the welfare of the society. And the Baha'i administration is designed to support that and monitor it and improve its interventions as time goes by in order to make maximum impact. All right. Thank you very much to all three of you, gentlemen. Bishop Joshua Ponga, fighter of spiritual colonialism. And by the way, he's an author. He's written prolifically. And um, soon enough, we should talk about one of your books there, Bishop. Iraj Abidian, thank you. Iraj Abidian is a member of the Baha'i Faith and CEO of the Pan-African Investments and Research Services. Thank you, sir. Sheikh Abdul Qadir Mandlangosi, leader from the Gauteng Muslim Shura Council. He is also uh, an Islamic scholar. Thank you to all of my guests and to all of everyone who's participating in this conversation. Conversation. Thank you. From me and I, Lupondwana, and the team, have a wonderful evening and Godspeed.